So um, as we're doing, working through 1 Corinthians 14, boy, you can tell I haven't had any sleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, one of the things that pops up in this passage is Paul goes into some things, says some things that you might uh, read and say, well, why didn't he say that before? Why is that coming up now? And actually when we read it, you're going to say, well, he, he does say that he said it before. But there's something about timing um, in life, isn't there? So you may go and you may learn things. You went to school, you learned mathematics, you learned some rules about you know, language, the English language, and then you forgot them as I did because you use it differently. And um, you know, that's just the way life sort of works. But in the moment, in, in times that pop up, there's an opportunity there to say something, to do something that makes an impact. And it usually comes from things that you have learned in the past that you've picked up and you realize here's the chance to say this or to uh, insert this in the conversation. Because as I put in your outline, uh, it's easy for us to lose or forget the power of the good news, the gospel itself, and just replace it with other things or become involved in other things or, or chasing after other things. And in doing that, we, we miss you know, what really is transformative, what really changes our life. And this is not going to um, be in your outline, but it'll pop up on the screen. You might want to write this down. Here's kind of, for me, the first thing in this passage that is a, a bomb that, that uh, Paul drops. And that is, um, if it doesn't apply, if it doesn't apply, it's quickly forgotten. If it doesn't apply, it's quickly forgotten. In other words, if this doesn't mean anything to your life, if you don't see why this, this gives you a better life, changes your view of life, if it has no application to you, then what happens is it's, it's maybe true, but it's quickly forgotten because it had no, no place in your life. Even think about Jesus himself, uh, because most people would say, well, why didn't you know, God send Jesus earlier? I'm like that. I'm like, shouldn't everyone in history have the same opportunity that you and I have? Well, it, the story doesn't work that way. Uh, the story moves on, and there was this specific time that God had planned to send his son into the world. The Bible actually says this. At the perfect time, at the time that God had appointed or, or decided in the plan to send Jesus, Jesus comes to do something in our lives, and it, it makes the perfect impact. Historically, uh, for us, uh, it makes the perfect Im impact. And that's really the way life works most of the time. So there's this time that Jesus comes. Let me give you a good illustration of this. Remember, um, Jesus, near the end of his life, he goes to see his uh, friends because his friends, Mary and Martha, they say, come quickly because our brother, do you remember his name, our brother, what was his name? Lazarus, what's, what's wrong with Lazarus? What's about to happen? He is, he's about to die. He's, he's sick. And so they do what you and I would probably do. Uh, Jesus, it says, does not leave and go. And the disciples are a little thrown off by it. Like, you know, shouldn't we be going? And then all of a sudden, Jesus decides to go and hears that Lazarus has already died. So it's almost like, well, you know, why go now? Because it, it's over. You know, you can't do anything. And you remember the story? He shows up and Martha comes out to meet him. And what does she say? You know, it's perfectly, you know, what was on her mind. If you had been here, you ever thought that way? If you had been here, you know, my brother would not have died. Have you ever thought that way? Sure. 
You know, if, if, if this had not happened or someone had done something, these things would not have occurred. And it's easy for us to think that way and, and to think that, you know, we have a better answer. Um, we can fix it. I was listening to uh, a guy who's a wonderful uh, apologist. In other words, he defends Christianity. But he was just all wound up about World War II, and he was talking about the Christians in Germany and the preachers in Germany, and he just couldn't let go of the fact that if they had only done all these things, that, that World War II would never have happened. Okay, I, I understand. What good does that do? It did happen. And, and through it, some things happened that have been really good for us. Not to say that there wasn't an incredible amount of evil and destruction that occurred, but everything doesn't work the way we think it should work out. And it's easy to go back and try to blame everything that has happened on someone else. If they had only, if that person had only. It, life has never worked that way for us. It didn't work that way for Jesus uh, either. Jesus came at a specific time. He shows up. Lazarus is dead. And so we would say, you know, you missed it. Even Mary, when he talks to Mary, Mary says exactly the same thing. But if you had been here, okay. But is it possible that he's going to do something even better, even greater? And of course, if you know the story of Lazarus, Jesus weeps, he cries, he sees the people mourning, and he walks up to the, uh, to the grave and he tells them to do what? Move the stone, yeah, uncover the grave. And they're like, nah, you can't do that, you know. Don't you, don't you know how this works? And uh, it literally says in the King James, he stinketh by now. Yeah, that's, that's it, you know, it's, it's a bad idea. But Jesus had a different plan. God has plans, and God's plans are, are based on his own timing and what he decides to do. And the reason I bring this up, and the reason I think this is so important, I think it is a, a doctrinal bomb for us because you and I tend to look at things in our lives and say, if that had not happened, you know, then uh, I would be a different person, okay? What if God has a plan? Not that what was happened was good, but what if God has a plan that is better than the bad thing that happened in your life? And if, if you lose the contact with God, if you, if you walk away from your faith, if you decide, you know, then I'm, I'm out of here because it didn't work out the way I think it should have worked, and I think God should have done things this way. If you do that, what do you miss? You miss, you miss Lazarus walking out of the grave. That's what you miss. You miss the things that God has planned that are so much bigger and so much better than, than what we planned or what we, what we thought. It's, it's human tendency to just look back and say, if only, if only, if only. But when Jesus comes, Jesus presents a different idea. We're, we're looking forward to what, what Jesus might do. There's this other story where Jesus with his disciples and there's a guy, you know, who was, who was born a cripple, you know, maybe at another time it could have been someone else that was blind, whatever, but, but they asked this question, it says, so is he this way because of his sin or because of the sins of his parents? Because they were looking back for the cause and Jesus actually says neither. It doesn't mean that that no one ever sinned when Jesus says that. Jesus said, but so that the glory of God would be revealed. In other words, there was something else coming. And that's what Jesus is trying to remind us of when Jesus comes. Jesus comes because something else is going to happen. There are better things ahead for us. And it should be what kind of guides our thinking, especially 
as those who have faith, who have belief, in, in other words, that we, we hold on to what the gospel says. This is why Paul, you know, he had said this in 1 Corinthians 13. I still um, love this part where he is playing off of this word all for them because they said, we can do all things. We're free to do whatever we want to do. And they keep using this word all. And Jesus says, yeah, it's true. I mean, Paul says, but not all things are profitable. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, he goes to talking about, you know, if you had all these gifts and all this knowledge and all this ability, you think you would be able to fix it. But then he's talking about love. And this is what literally what he says about love. It's down in verse number eight. He says this, or maybe number seven. He says, um, love believes all things. I don't mean you're naive. <laughs> he's talking about believing and trusting God in all things. He says, love believes all things. He says, love bears all all things. Whoa, yeah. So whatever comes, love empowers us to go, to go through all those things. And then he says, love endures all things. Whoa. Then he adds, love never fails. So I'm looking for something that would take me through all the tough stuff and the difficult stuff of life. Aren't you? Are you looking for something like that? Sure you are. We all are. And this is what Paul is saying. God sent his son into the world so that we would have that kind of strength to go through all those things. But if it doesn't relate to you, if, if you don't catch it, and if it doesn't work in the, in the event of your life, what will happen is you will quickly lose it. It may be true, but you will quickly lose it. And this is what Paul is gonna work off of. This is in 1 Corinthians 15, and I love how he does this. So he's been talking about a lot of issues, a lot of problems. He's gonna get to one more that they had, and he says this. He says, let me remind you now, or let me now remind you, uh, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you. Say this with me, what? Before, right. So you might not have caught it before. You might not have understood it before. But let me remind you once again, he's trying to show how applicable this is to their question and to their situation in life. <clears throat> he said, you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. In other words, they still believed it. He says, it is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. The good news was a message. It was a proclamation of what God was going to do and the plans that God had that were different from the way things were working out uh, right then for them. He says, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Or he says, literally, he says, unless you believed in vain. In other words, you decided, maybe you've done this, you decided if you've gone, if you've gone through life, yeah, that's, that's not true. Or maybe you've come up with an idea of what you thought Christianity was about and that Christianity would, would give you the ability, the power to make life the way you wanted life to be and you tried to use it in that way and you found out it didn't work out and maybe you quit or you gave up. And that's okay. Let me just tell you, that's okay because God wants you to quit and give up on that. So that instead, you would look to God and say, God, do you have a better idea than what I had? Is there a better plan that doesn't match up with my plan? Can you change me, in other words, to see things the way you see things? And God is in, in, in a constant uh, instruction mode trying to get us to grasp who he is and learn to see things the way he sees them because God has these wonderful plans for us and for our lives. So then he, then he uh, jumps in here in verse number three. He says, I passed on to you. I want you to catch this. This is really powerful. 
He said, I'm going to catch on to you what was, say this with me, was what? Most important. I want you to catch the, the, the most important thing. And this absolutely is a doctrinal bomb that he drops on them that comes about after Jesus' resurrection with the, with the beginning of Christianity that you and I tend to take for granted, unfortunately. We tend to take it for granted. They did not. This was, this was something that was staggering uh, for them. It was not the way that Gentiles in their day thought they would redeem or rescue their life. This was not the way that Jews thought they would redeem or rescue their, their life. He says, Look, I dropped on you this bomb, what was most important, and what uh, had also been passed on to me. In other words, someone dropped this on him also. Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. And, and incidentally, he's not talking about this, um, especially not the New Testament. It hadn't even been written yet. He was writing part of it right now, right? He's talking about it had been prophesied, it had been foretold that there would be a Messiah coming. So Jesus is the one that was foretold, just as the scriptures said. Um, he, he died on the, uh, I'm sorry, he died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So Paul is making a, a switch for them, a turn. Because they might have seen it before as Jesus was someone who was crucified. Jesus was somebody that the Romans put to death. Uh, Jesus was somebody that the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem had beaten because they had him crucified by the Romans. So the crucified Jesus could look to them as a loss, as a failure, as a defeat. And let's face it, the early believers or the early uh, followers of Jesus, when Jesus is crucified, that's the way they took it. They, they go and they hide. So if you've ever felt that way, you're in good company because sometimes it looks like what you believe is a defeat. It looks like it's not going to turn out the way you wanted it to, except what Paul does is Paul says, but the crucified Christ, This, if you want to write this one down, the crucified Christ, he became the who? The, the risen Christ, right. The crucified Christ becomes the risen Christ. There, there's a, a, a whole different way of understanding life and seeing life when you realize that Jesus did not stay in the grave. In fact, it changes everything about how you understand then the cross because the cross for the early Christians was not a symbol to be worshiped and to be celebrated. It was a, it was a symbol of pain and loss and we've been defeated and Rome won, and the Jewish uh, authorities had won. That, later, it becomes this incredible symbol because of the resurrection. Because when Jesus is raised, he is saying that the cross is not what you thought. The cross is Jesus going and taking your sin and dying for your sin and defeating it, conquering it. Life conquers death. He is raised, and because of that, you and I believe, we hold on to, that we will be raised to life also. We'll be raised to life also. I don't know if you remember there in that, in that part of that story where Martha and Jesus are talking. He asked her about what she believes. And she says, yeah, 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 I, I believe that one day, you know, way off, there will be, you know, a resurrection. But then Jesus kind of, he, he's making it applicable to her. I want to do this with you. He's making it applicable to her. He says, but, but Martha, don't you understand this? Anyone who believes 
Though he dies, thus shall he live. So he, he's making it right now. Yes, you're right. There's a resurrection from the dead that will occur in the future. But even right now, the one who believes, even if they die, they still will live because of Christ himself. That, that's what changes you and I right now. And in order to prove that, to act that out, of course, then he goes, like I said, to the grave four days after Lazarus has been, been dead, tells him walk out, and what does Lazarus do? Yeah, he comes hopping out, right? Still wrapped in grave clothes, you know, because, because Christ raises him. It's not because he was going to raise him again over and over, uh, moment by moment. Every time somebody gets sick, Jesus was going to... That, that was not the point. He's doing it to show them that what he promises in the future is alive and real right now. So resurrection occurs in us right now. Our, our, our thoughts have been resurrected. Our, our understanding of life has been resurrected. The, the energy that we have about life has been totally changed because we're not looking at life just from the moment and just from the things that happen in this day. We know that's not the end of the story because of who Jesus is. You know, one of the things I like about this passage is you might not reckon, realize this, but a lot of people want to claim that Christianity developed over time. Maybe you've heard this before. You know, you can go to certain uh, uh, people who do not believe and are very well educated, and they'll try to prove this. But but this passage is actually Paul re re reiterating to them something that he had been taught, been handed down to him. That's what he says. He hands it down to them, and Paul learns this uh, early on as a follower of Jesus. Once Paul uh, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, becomes a follower, he learns this himself. Because this was an early confession of the believers of the church. They would say this. You know, he, he died, he was crucified, he was buried, uh, he rose again on the third day, and then he goes on and he adds this. He was seen by Peter and by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some of them had died. He said, listen, if you wanna check this out, there are people who were here, saw Jesus after his resurrection. They're still around. Most of them are uh, still around. And then he adds this. This was not a part of, his, of the confession that was taught, but here's what he adds. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Because Paul is, is in the enemy's camp. Paul is one who is persecuting Christians. He's following them around. He's trying to have them jailed and even executed for their faith. So Paul is adamant against Christianity. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life changes. And Paul is so pivotal in the future of Christianity. Because with all the disciples, all the people that knew him in Jerusalem, all those that, that you know, were walking with him, none of them had quite the, the moxie that Paul had. None of them had the the do or dieness that Paul will have after his conversion because he is an enemy, because he's fighting against it. And now all of a sudden, he's on the other side. So Paul doesn't care. Paul goes to wherever in the world he has to go. He looks to the, for the opportunity to share this message of who Jesus Christ uh, was, even though, even though um, he fought against it so adamantly uh, before. So he adds this. He says... Uh, for I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted 
God's church. But then he says, verse 10, but wherever I am now, isn't that a great phrase? <laughs> whatever I am now, whatever I've become, whatever, you know, if you look at my life now, whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, his, his, his mercy and his grace. God poured out on Paul because Paul's not going to say, I earned this, I did something to deserve this. No, the opposite is true. And if anybody knew this, Paul knew this. Paul understood how much he did not deserve this, but how God in his mercy and in his grace still poured out rescue, salvation, a changed heart, a new direction in his life. He goes from being one of the religious leaders who had his position established, and he could be loyal to that position and fight against the opposition, which was Christianity quickly um, in, in their view. But now he is totally different, and he's totally sold out. He says, and now, and, and not without results. There's God pours his grace on him, and Paul says, and it's not without results. It changed me. He says, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach. But we all preach the same message and you have believed it. So Paul is saying, listen, it's not me. In fact, here's a third bomb that I think he drops on him too. Uh, Paul says, it's not me because he says, the message is actually more important than the messenger. That's a pretty big bomb. It doesn't matter to me if I preach it or someone else preaches it. Only that it gets preached. Only that people hear. Because it's not about me. I'm not, I'm not the important one here. The important thing is what God himself has done and that that message uh, goes out into the world. So he didn't care who was doing it, but Paul was determined that he was going to proclaim this message to the world uh, around him because this is what God had done. I put in here... <clears throat> a quote, this is from um, Habermas and um, Lacona's book, The Case for the Risen Jesus, probably written about 10 or 12 years ago. And this is what, uh, uh, this is a quote from their book in the middle of that book. It says this, several factors mark this as an ancient creed that was part of the earliest traditions of the Christian church and that predate the writings of Paul. In fact, many critical scholars, that means critical scholars are those who try to go in and tear it apart and, and see if they can disprove it. Many critical scholars hold that Paul received it from the disciples, um, Peter and James, while visiting them in Jerusalem three years after his conversion, after Paul became a believer, that that's when he got this idea. It's, it's pretty amazing and, um, and pretty powerful that, uh, that this is said. In fact, if you were going to go and read Paul's letter in Philippians, in the first chapter, he actually talks about this and, uh, and how he understood something with believing this and now he's acting it out. See, the, the early church wanted to make sure that those who followed Jesus knew who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. There are a lot of things they debated, a lot of things they disagreed on, but the foundational things were so important to them that they would gather together, as you and I gather together, they would talk about them, and since they didn't have, like I said, they didn't have a Bible like you and I have to go and read and to understand, so they, they would teach them these things. We call these early things, they taught them creeds. And uh, there's one called the Apostles' Creed. How many people you grew up and uh, you had to recite the Apostles' Creed? Anybody? Oh, that, 
You, okay, when I say it, you'll say, oh, that's what it is. So, uh, so I did. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and so we had to recite the Apostles' Creed um, every Sunday. And it, was, it comes from a long tradition in, in churches of doing this because they could not read. They didn't have the Bible to read, so they would teach them foundational things about the faith so that they would know them and hold on to them. And so that in the right timing, in the right, with the right opportunity, they would be able to pull a piece out and use it to keep them on track, to make sure that they not, did not stray. So if you know the Apostles' Creed, uh, say it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. See, you, you just thought you didn't know it. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under, oh, see, you wouldn't know who Pontius Pilate is otherwise. <laughs> suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was dead and buried. Um, some reject this part, but some use he descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he sitteth on the right hand of God the Father. From thence he shall come, in other words, thence just means from there, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Same thing as Holy Spirit. Believe in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Catholic Church. This, now, let me, let me stop for a minute. Because I have people say, I'm not saying that. So, <clears throat> the Holy Catholic Church is not the Roman Catholic Church. I know that there, I, I say that they're Roman Catholic. Oh, yes, it, okay, okay, I understand. So, the Roman Catholic Church came, out, came about 3rd, 4th, 5th century A.D., and uh, they wanted to believe, as you can tell how, what I believe, they wanted to believe that they were the only church. And so Catholic, the word Catholic means universal. And so they, they wanted to say, we are the universal church. And if you're not a part of this church, you're not a part of the universal church. Um, I'm Protestant. Protestant is, comes from the word protesters. And uh, so the protesters said, no, 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 that's not what the book says. That's not, you know, the book says because of our faith and our belief, we become part of the universal church, not because we are aligned with the church in Rome. And so that's part of the battle. And if you want to write me about it later, you can do that. That's, that's fine. Um, but that, so when you say that, you're not saying you are Roman Catholic. I believe in God the Father. Oh my. Um, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. He says, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the, whoa, yeah, the resurrection of the body and the life ever after, yeah. Resurrection of the body and the life ever after. So the, the resurrection of the body is not, is not your old body. Uh, so just to let you know, if you've ever seen a mummy, that body's not gonna be resurrected, just, uh, you know, just in case you, you wonder about it. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. The, the resurrection of the body is a, in the Bible is a new body, an incorruptible body. In fact, he's going to talk about it later in this chapter. We won't get to that part. But he makes this wonderful argument about it when he says, look, you, you understand how this works? It, you have to plant the old body in the ground. And from that, one day Christ gives us, he resurrects a new body. We get a brand new body. But you understand his work. So a seed falls from the plant. It falls into the ground. The husk, the shell on the outside, continues to deteriorate in the ground. It doesn't come back an old piece of grain. In fact, what comes out of the ground doesn't even look like the piece of grain that fell into the ground. It's a whole new plant, a whole new thing. But it comes from the life that is still there that springs back to life. So he's saying, 
you see this in everyday life. Don't you understand that that's what happens with us also? That even though we die, as Jesus said, we live again. We, we don't die and, and stay died, right? We don't stay dead. And Jesus tried to constantly come back and prove that. Now, in, in a former life, in, in my earlier life, uh, my hair was bright red. There's some people I know, I have to go back and find an old picture to get you to believe it, but uh, it was bright red. And I used to tell people, when you get the resurrected body, we'll all be redheads. Okay, my wife always says, don't say that. They don't know what you're talking about. Your hair's white now. I, I know, I know. But it used to be red. There's a resurrected body. What will it look like? I have no idea. What will it be like? I have no idea. But it's a promise that he gives to us. And he says, you see it all the time in life, Paul is saying. So you have to hold on to this idea and believe that God will fulfill his promise, even though it hasn't happened yet. But it will happen. You're alive with Christ. You know you're alive with Christ even now. Even if you go to the grave now, you're still alive with Christ. And the day is coming when you will be raised again, even with a physical body. That's what the Bible actually teaches. It doesn't teach that you'll be in heaven floating around, you know, like a, like a, piece, uh, a part of smoke or something and, you know, playing a harp. And, you know, I, I understand that's, that's not what it actually teaches, which aren't you glad? I think that would be boring, you know, just ask just me. But it talks about a physical body and a physical life um, that we will have. So um, the next section, this is where he gets into this. So it, this, the question really is, so how is God going to work through you and through me? Um, this is how God works through us. It's in, in this hope of the resurrection. And it's, it's a big bomb, again, that he drops because some of them are fighting him. They're saying, there's no resurrection of the dead. Sadducees taught in Judaism no resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed it, but it had become a prominent thing here, and there were many who were taking even the early message of Christianity, and they were already twisting it, the, the ones who followed Marcion. You know, there's no resurrection of the dead. So here's what he says in verse number 12. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, right, foundational, you, 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 you cannot have a faith without believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I had a guy that one time I, we were talking, and, I was, and he said he was a Christian, or at least um, his fiance said he was a Christian. So we're talking about it. I said, so tell me about your Christianity. He said, well, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, you know, if you're asking me about being a Christian, you'd say, do I believe in Jesus that Jesus was? He said, no, I don't mean that kind of Christianity. I said, okay, so, you know, what kind of Christianity? Well, I believe in Christian principles, the ones I like and the ones I don't. I said, oh, okay. So in other words, uh, you, your, your faith is not built on who Jesus is. It's built on some teachings that you think may have come from Jesus, may have not. That's not Christianity. Sorry. It's not Christianity. Christianity is built on the person of Jesus Christ. That 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect life, a life that we could never live. And he didn't leave, live it for himself. He didn't live it to, to give himself a name or whatever. He was already the son of God. But he, he lived a perfect life. He gave that perfect life as a ransom for us because we could not ransom ourselves. We were held hostage by sin and death. And he rescued us. He goes to the cross. He takes our sin upon himself. Do you believe that? He takes your sin upon himself. And your sin is nailed with him on the cross. It dies on the cross because that is the only place your sin, anyone's sin, can possibly go. It leads to death. 
And he goes and it dies on the cross. Three days later, he walks out of the grave to say, I conquered sin and death for you. You will rise again. See, none of us make it in this life. Sorry. <laughs> Even with cryogenics and, you know, the $6 million man. Didn't you love the $6 million man? We can rebuild him, you know. Though they can, they can re rebuild parts of us, but none, none of us make it out of this life, you know. Either Christ will return before we die or we will die physically and be raised again with Christ, but we will be with him immediately after death because of what he did for us. And that is our hope. Someone says, well, prove it to you. I can't prove it to you. We haven't gotten there yet, right? <laughs> but that is our hope. So you may say, I don't want to believe that. Um, I don't like that. I don't see how that could possibly be. Of course you don't see how it could possibly be. If you could figure it out, if you could fix it, if, if, if the world could fix it, if medicine could fix it. Listen, my dad was a doctor. I'd be wonderful, you know, but it can't be done. But God himself had a different plan. God decided to fix it. So Paul's kind of going after him here. This is really important. He said, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, now think about it. Why are some saying that there will never be a resurrection from the dead? And he gives this argument as, as he's talking about it and the things that they did believe, even though they're, they're pushing against these other things. So he, he's talking about these things that they, that they did believe, and he's saying, so how can you believe this if you're saying there's no resurrection from the dead? It's, it's, it doesn't fit. It's not possible. And I think that he actually gives us wonderful things about our faith in Christ that we can use and God can work through us in someone else's life when he does it this way. It's a wonderful argument in the moment. Listen to what he says, verse 13. He says, for if there's no resurrection for dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Now, wait a minute, say that again. Okay, well, hang on to that. This is how he's gonna build that argument. He says, um, and if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. Because, it's, see, it's, it's all built on Jesus being raised and, and giving us life also. So it would be useless. He says, and your faith is useless. Then what you're believing in, what you're hoping in, which they were also, if you say there's no resurrection, then what's the point of our faith? He says, and we apostles would be lying about God. You wanna follow a liar? No, I'd rather follow somebody that, that's telling me uh, the truth. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead, right, because that's what resurrection from the dead is. He said, and if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still, oops, here we go, you're still guilty in your sins. In other words, you still have to pay for those sins. They will cost you everything because you've betrayed God by going against him if they've not been paid for by Christ on the cross. In that case, he says, all who have lived believing in Christ then would be lost. Not rescued, not they, they would be lost. And he says, and if our hope in Christ is only, I love this part, if our hope in Christ is only in this life, if, if that's the only reason, it's, it's just what it does for us in this life, he says, we are no, we're more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. Wow, have you ever heard anybody say, I've said, probably said this too, you know, even if it's not true, <laughs> it's a better way to live. Anybody ever said that? I have. 
Nobody else has ever, okay, I'm the only one, but you know, so you've heard it now because I'm telling you, you know, even if it's not true, being a follower of Christ or living is a better way to live. Paul is saying, seriously? <laughs> seriously? Because if Jesus didn't do what he said, you, you're not going to go through the price and pay the price to follow him and trust him if he didn't do what he said. You, you're going to bail out. You're going to do what's best for you in the moment, best for you right now as you live today. You, you're not going to be thinking about the future. But if Christ, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he will raise me from the dead, it absolutely changes how I'm going to live this life. I just put down a few statements. Um, you may like these. You might want to add to them, but I was just pulling them out of this about a week or two ago, and I thought, you know, the, what this does for us is it gives us, first of all, a hope for the future. Yes. The world is looking for a hope for the future, right? I mean, halfway across the world right now, in, in, the, in the ancient land of Israel, people are looking for a hope for the future because life is tough and painful and, and full of war and hatred, right? They're looking for a hope for the future. You have a message to share. <clears throat> and the message to share is not that you know the best way in this life. You can fix all the problems, of the, even though as people we like to be able to say things like that. The message is what God has done through his son Jesus Christ for us that guarantees us a future. There's a power then to our faith. Of course there is. Because our faith takes us through difficulties, hardships. When things don't work out the way we wanted them to, we keep going because of our faith, our belief. There's a confidence that we have in this truth that we believe God has given us through his son Jesus and we hold on to that truth and we don't let go of it. We keep moving forward. There's the removal of our guilt. And, and listen, I'm like you. Do you ever feel guilty? Sure you do. <laughs> when you do something wrong, you feel guilty. I tell people all the time, you do something wrong, do you feel guilty? And they say, yes. I say, well, you should. That's healthy. <laughs> but you don't want to live with that guilt. You want to say, somehow I've got to pay for it or fix it or what am I going to do? Christ came to remove the guilt. It's not that when you do something wrong, you don't feel guilty. You should. And, and if you're you know, a, a child here and you don't, don't worry. Your parents will make you feel bad about it, right? That's, that's part of their job. It is part of their job. That's the way it's supposed to work. But it means that, that Christ himself has done something for us, taken away something we could not take away from ourselves. He has removed our guilt from us. He says uh, um, also in here, you know you belong. You know there's a place that you belong. You belong with God. Christ has brought you into his family, given you his promises. He will make good on those promises. There is a home, there's a hope, there's a future for you. And then there's this glory. Um, how do you describe it? It's, it's glory of a magnitude, the, the hope that we have that is so far beyond just how we live this life. It, it involves what is ahead and what is ahead for eternity because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's a doctrinal bomb. <laughs> because in this world, that's not how people live. They don't have that hope to hold on to that's outside of them, that is bigger than them, that is given to them as a gift of God's grace and his mercy because God has that much compassion and love for us. We didn't earn it. Um, even though Paul says, I worked harder than all of them, as he reminds them, but you know what? I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't because of me. <laughs> it 
It was because of what God did for me. You know, just, uh, I know I'll get in trouble for this one probably also, but um, I was watching an interview with Altuve, or reading an interview with Altuve, and they were asking Altuve about, you know, he's so calm and collected in the ninth inning, hitting that low change up, you know, that as I told someone, man, if I had been there, I'd been so hyped up looking for the fastball, I would have probably swung before the ball left the pitcher's hand, you know, just in panic that you're going to strike out or whatever. Instead, you know, he throws him the change up, Altuve waits on it, calmly drives the ball out to left center field, and my son-in-law said, yeah, and it, it barely made it. I said, that's because that's as far as he can hit it. But that's, that's all he had to do. He just had to hit it. So far, he drives it out, and as you watch him running around the bases, he is not, you know, just kind of overly elated. He's just going around the bases, running what he normally does. It's, it's part of the genius of, of how Altuve uh, plays. He doesn't panic or get too overly excited about any moment. And then they're interviewing him and talking about this incredible thing that he did. Because I, I thought about the same thing. Have you ever done I thought, oh, man, what would it have been like to, be, to hit that ball? Anybody thought that? Okay, you're a Rangers fan. I, and so, you know, you know what, what an in, what incredible thing to, to hit that ball out. And then they ask Altuve, and you know what Altuve does? If, if you read the, the interview, what, who did he compliment? The two guys that were on base. He said, oh, what they did was much harder to do than what I did. <laughs> he said, they were the ones sitting on the base, and their struggle and what they went through was so much harder than what I did. You really should be talking to them and interviewing them about what they did. Wow. See, for us, because of what Jesus did, it's not about us. It's about what he has done for us. And we have this hope in him. We're not walking around saying, you need to be like me. I'm such a wonderful person. I do so many wonderful things. I'm probably the greatest that ever was. It's, it's not about that. That's what Paul is, is saying about himself. It's actually not. And so I don't really care who proclaims the message. The message is for every person who hears it, they grasp it. They're like, whoa, God has done this for me? Yes. And they look to God and they trust him, what he has done for them, to make the difference in their life and to give them the hope and the future that they wish they had. But most of us are hung up on what we're, what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish ourselves. Accomplish, yes. Work hard, absolutely, as Paul says. But understand that God does for you what you can never do for yourself. Let's pray together. <clears throat> and I want to encourage you that um, if you are here and maybe you've, you've never put your, your hope, maybe you've never believed before, maybe you're just at that stage where all of a sudden it has become more real than it ever has been before what God has done for you. There are stages like that. And there are times in your life where you might be in a situation where the truth of what God has done just makes an impact that it never made before. That's what God does. He moves in our hearts at the right time. Yes, in a time, place of need, most of the time. When we're looking for something that we just haven't found and we can't figure out ourselves, and all of a sudden what God has done for us, it just comes alive and we recognize his great love, his compassion, the gift of, of mercy and grace that he has for us. And as we recognize it, you know, what really happens, the same thing happened to Paul, we, we recognize that he has the same gift for other people also. 
And that if we look to God and trust him, God will bring us to those times where we have the chance to, to share with someone else the good news that Paul said was, was shared with him. He's built his life upon. It fills him with, with hope and meaning and purpose. And he knows there's so much more ahead than what we have now, the life that we have now. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. That you just cared for us in a way that we, we never could have planned. We never could have figured it out. In fact, it really throws us off totally when all of a sudden you come and you reveal yourself and you, you touch our hearts just like you touch Paul's. And you start to fill our, our hearts with a new wonder, a new excitement of what could be, of what life will be like one day, and even where you might take us in this life, facing even hardships, maybe the way Paul faced them, but all for a higher cause and a higher purpose. You give us a boldness, a willingness to sometimes step out further than we would otherwise, and sharing the, the good news, the hope that we have with someone else who desperately needs it. If you've never opened up your heart, say, Lord, I trust you. I, I believe this message that we still have 2,000 years later and, and continues to be heard and to be grasped by people, and you use this message to actually transform a person's life, transform me also. Make me into the person that you want me to be. be. Fill me with your life, your love, your great compassion. Fill me with your spirit, a new way of living. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.